0: Right. good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on Such a Great Salvation. And so, just so you know, I want to first of all apologize. Last week we missed our service because we had some major technical difficulties, and so uh, we just were not able to do both Sunday morning or our Sunday night Bible study. And so, um, we apologize for that, so we're picking that back up today as if we missed nothing. <laughs> so thank you for bearing with us The technology, uh, we just uh, were totally down uh, all together last week. So anyway, that said, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And so if uh, you missed it two weeks ago in the last uh, beginning of the series, you can pick out all that up later there. Uh, we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings and just uh, in case you're wondering how to do so uh, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org go to our give page which is in the top right hand corner uh, uh, highlighted in blue and then uh, you can give them anywhere around the world if you want to write us a check you can simply make your checks payable at lighthouse discipleship center and on the bottom of every page on the footer you will find our mailing address if you're here in the united states you can simply Know that your tax donations and contributions are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 5133 church. Uh, just so you know, we will have Bible say tonight at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, as we're in California. And then uh, we will pick up our Bible study on the Believer's Authority by Andrew Womack uh, tonight. So anyway, again, we apologize for missing last week. We have we have some major difficulties uh, with our technology until we were just totally down all together and nothing we could do about that at the time. But we have made med- we have done things this week, uh, working hard to get it so we can uh, be back on the air this week. And here we are. So we've been talking uh, the last two sessions on such a great salvation. And as I mentioned in previous sessions, uh, this is a trilogy. Uh, three different messages. uh, talked about our redemption, talked about our salvation here, and in the next set series, I'm going to be talking about our covenant with God. And so um, this is the second series and a set of three different series. And so we're, we're going to, uh, my wife keeps saying I say that wrong, series. So anyway, but I think you understand what I'm meaning. And so uh, here we go with that. So anyway, <clears throat> um, in this particular series, is Such a Great Salvation, I have broken this up into four ma- uh, major topics. We talked talk about it on our first hour about the gift of salvation. We defined what salvation is in, in a nutshell. It wasn't an exhaustive definition, we just explained it in, in, in the context of it's, it's a gift, it's not something you can earn. Uh, Okay, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. we put faith in that gift. We put faith in that grace that He's given us. We receive that gift by faith. When someone gives you a gift, you simply uh, politely say, thank you. And so we we put faith in that, in His grace. Uh, If it was by works, by performance. It's not grace. Okay? It can't be grace and works at the same time. That's a not and It doesn't work that way. Okay. And so, um, and then we spent uh, two weeks ago, which would have normally been last week, but uh, because we missed last week, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the purpose of salvation. And this is probably one of my favorite sections of this whole series because this tells us why we have salvation. God wanted to restore a relationship back with Him. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God, but with the fall, that relationship was severed. Uh, it wasn't so much that God was hiding from man. Man, Adam, hid from God. And at the same point in time, uh, we, man could not have a close, intimate relationship with God anymore because of sin. And so that's why we come into this week's lesson. We're going to be talking about the necessity of salvation. And I'll get back to that in just a moment. And then starting hopefully next week or the week after, depending on, because I have a lot to say this week. But uh, this might be two weeks for just this next week. <coughs> Excuse me, I want to talk about the benefits of salvation. We described in our first hour how salvation, by definition, both the Hebrew and in Greek, means wholeness, it means healing, it means prosperity, it means deliverance, and there's some other definitions as well. I want to take some time as we talk about the benefits of salvation, and I want to look a little more intently at what wholeness is. I look at what healing is. Look about what prosperity is. I know some people don't like that topic, but we uh, If we don't like it, we need. That means we need to address it. And then at the same point in time, we need uh, to talk about uh, deliverance and how that is part of our salvation. Um, it's like you know, it's like it's like a prism. It's like a something that a jewel. we we're, we're gonna look at the benefits of salvation from so many different angles uh, of what our salvation is. I'm not eliminating that as forgiveness, because that's the key. Uh, without forget- the forgiveness of sins, there would be no relationship with God. There would be no bitterness. There would be no salvation. Okay? That goes, the forgiveness goes back to the gift of salvation. And so, uh, by his grace and by his mercy. But this week, like I said, we're going to be talking about the necessity of, uh, of salvation. And with this particular lesson, I have a lot of scripture. Okay? And uh, and with this particular lesson within this series i feel like this is more of a what i consider a sc- scatter gun approach where i to be talking about a lot of different things and hopefully they will harmonize as we are looking at this salvation this jewel this gift from many different angles and seeing the necessity of the salvation we're going to look at it not just one more one angle only but we're going to be looking at it from multiple angles it's really it's really one gift. Yeah, it's really one it's one package still. And then we're going to take it next week and looking at the benefits of salvation. Because there's more than just one benefit. It's more than just going to heaven and going to hell. And I'm not eliminating the point of that. You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. And, and that is worth preaching if that's all we preach about. And that's what most people do preach about. And that is worth preaching. But there's more than just that. Okay? And even if hell was not even part of the equation, it is. And even if heaven was not part of the equation, and it is. Jesus still would have died for our sins. To have a relationship with us. Okay? We, we need to understand that. Okay? And so, we're going to be looking at that uh, going into uh, hopefully next week. Like I said, this particular section, section three of this uh, series, might take me two weeks. I have a lot, of, a lot to cover. And I don't want to just rush to it, I say four times, we're just going to forward. So last week, or two weeks ago, like I said, we missed last week because we had technical challenges, but two weeks ago, we talked about a lot from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We talked about how the goal of salvation, the purpose of salvation, was that we would have everlasting life. We talk about everlasting life, everlasting life, eternal life, or use interchangeably, eternal life is a relationship with God. The goal of salvation, the purpose of salvation, was that we would have a relationship with God. But we couldn't have a relationship with God because of this word called sin, and (coughs) we were perishing. We were doomed to perish. You know, uh, the the gospel, salvation, is not about being fair because. If we were gonna be fair, we all go to hell. Because we all deserve hell. We done nothing to earn salvation. We done nothing to earn a relationship with God. It's all by grace. Okay? But we were perishing. But we couldn't save ourselves. We were helpless, we were hopeless, we were doomed. And but God in his love, he so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us. So that we would not only per- not perish, but more importantly, that we would have everlasting life. Now, this week I'm going to go into verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus, might be saved. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about a great salvation. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, he sent Jesus. To save the world. Make sense? Okay. Verse 18 says, And he who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And we're going to unpack this a little bit uh, as we go. Again, Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. That's one of my first points I'm trying to be making right now. Condemnation is not from God. Does he convict us of sin? We'll get into some of that a little bit later. But yes, he does. He convicts, but he does not condemn. Okay? He convicts the world of sin. He convicts the, the believers of righteousness. And he convicts the devil that he's already been judged. And that's a whole other message I'm getting out from John, uh, the book of John. Okay? The condemnation is not from God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, and there's over three hundred scriptures in the New Testament talk about being in Christ. This phrase "in Christ" is used over three hundred times in, in Scripture. But if you are in Christ, you, there is no condemnation. Okay, and so he goes on to say in the same chapter, Paul Romans eight thirty four. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who is making intercession for us. Jesus is not condemning us who are believers. Jesus is making intercession. He's interceding. He's our mediator. He's our advocate between God and us. Why? Because he was our propitiation. He was our sacrifice. and He took all the sin of himself and it's been Paid in full. And we talked about that a lot in detail in our previous series when we talked about this eternal redemption that we have. Okay? But Satan takes the witness of our own conscience and condemns us. How do I know that? Well, first of all, it says in Romans 2:15 that who shows the work the work of the law written in their hearts, <coughs> their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves the thoughts accusing are excusing them. I'm not going to there's a lot of deep stuff in here, but our own conscience bears witness that we are accused, that we are guilty. Okay? And Satan amplifies that witness of our conscience through the law. It says in Romans 7-9, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived. Actually, there was a scripture here I added this morning that it didn't capture, but in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, it says that the, the, the Jesus, uh, let me just read, read it real quick. Let me just do the old-fashioned way. Let me read it to you. If you have your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2. I meant to add this this morning, and somehow I didn't get saved in the transla- translation, but, uh, uh, Col- uh, Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to pick it up in verse, um, quick. We'll pick up verse 12. He's talking about circumcision and baptism. Okay. (coughs) That's what he's talking about in this context. And then he says, uh, excuse me, uh, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of of, of God who raised him from from the dead. And you being dead, and your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made a lie to, to, um, together with him, having forgiven of all trespasses. And verse 14, where we want to get to. Having wiped out uh, the, the handwritten requirements, there was only one handwritten requirement, that's the 10 commandments, that's the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. But verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a spectacle of them, triumphant over them um, in it. See, he disarmed principalities and powers. What did he disarm principalities and powers of? The law! The law was against us! That is why, you know, The law is called the ministry of condemnation. It's called the ministry of death. The law condemns us. And Satan, many times, will use the law to accuse you and condemn you. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Okay? The law condemns you. Jesus fulfilled the law and being condemned for you. The law is called the ministry of death. Jesus died for you so that you can live. And Paul talks about this a lot of detail in Romans chapter eight, uh, portions I did not I left out. But, see in 2 Corinthians, again, the ministry of death written, it was handwritten. It was, written, it was a grave on stone, was glorious. But how would the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Would the ministry of condemnation have glory? The ministry of righteousness has much more glory. I've talked about this in detail in a lot of different teachings. I'm not going to go there this morning. That's not the scope of my message. My point is that the law is a ministry of death. The law is a ministry of condemnation. Condemnation is not from God. Condemnation is not from uh, Christ. It's from the law. Is the law bad? No. It had glory. But the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, exceeds much more in glory. He, he, this he 2 Corinthians 3. He's finishing together in 2 Corinthians 5. five Verse 21, for he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in us. That's the ministry of righteousness. And the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory, okay? Anyway, but the law, uh, the law has a sting of death, okay? I I missed some verses back here, Let we go back real quick. Uh, I was alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died, Okay? Uh, there's so many. I like again. I'm using so many scriptures this morning. And I could teach a whole message on each one of these. I got to be careful when I don't get sidetracked. Okay, but and it also says in seven, uh, Romans seven eleven for sin taking occasion by commandment to see me, then by it kills me. It's called the ministry of death. It's called the ministry of condemnation. That's what it is. Okay, I try to get forward again. And the sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the law. And again, I can go in so much detail with this. And I don't want to eliminate too much that, 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 I don't, that I'm don't. i not explaining myself. But the point I'm trying to get to, the only way to get clear of a guilty conscience that is our witness that is accusing us is to apply the blood of Jesus to cleanse our guilty conscience. Je- the blood of Jesus, so Jesus, through salvation, through the gift of salvation, cleansed, our guilty conscience by his blood satan wants to use the law to condemn us but jesus nailed that law to the cross and he triumphed over all principalities and powers because he, because jesus condemned himself for us the devil cannot use the law against us. The only way he can use the law against us is by deception. We don't know. See, the law is not made for the righteous. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. It's made for the unrighteous. If you are righteous and how are you righteous? Because what you did know, you're righteous because what he did. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteous God in him. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation does not come from God, it comes from the law. The law is used for uh, the the ungodly. Paul says this, the law is good, you know, the law is only good when you use it lawfully. And you can only use the law lawfully to the ungodly. If we are in Christ, we are not ungodly, we are the righteous God in Christ Jesus. Okay? the blood of Jesus has cleaned us we, he has redeemed us he has purchased us for us he has set us free Hebrews 9.22 says and according to the law almost all of things are purified by blood even verse 17 in the same chapter says the law itself was purified by blood the law had to be purified by the blood of, uh, of the Lamb even the law was anointed by the blood we we missed that through all these years but how is it The law is holy, but what made it holy? The blood! Okay? The blood of Jesus triumphs over the law. Because without the blood, the law wouldn't be holy. Almost all things are purified with the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no redemption. There is no salvation. (coughs) Excuse me. The only way to get clear of a guilty conscience is to apply the blood. We're talking about the necessity of salvation. We need to, the purpose was to have a relationship with God. But something had to be cleansed. Something had to be redeemed. Something had to be removed. Am I making sense? So the only way to get clear of a guilty conscience is the plight of blood of Jesus. And renewing our minds, that purges our consciousness. We need to renew our minds. This phrase, renewing your minds, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 12. If you study this out in the Greek, it means to renovate the mind. We need to reprogram this thing. We need to renovate it. (coughs) Excuse me. It says, again, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience, from Dead works to serve the living God. There's only one thing that can save you, that's the blood of Jesus. And there's only one thing that can cleanse your conscience from dead works, and that is the blood of Jesus. Am I making sense? We need salvation not only to receive forgiveness and redemption, we need the blood, we need salvation to also cleanse us from a guilty conscience. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. And that's done. You're the God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. What's the pure water? His word. Okay? <coughs> the point I'm trying to make here right now is, and Jesus' first coming was not to condemn mankind. Jesus' first coming was to save mankind. That's why he came. Jesus didn't condemn the world. He came here to save the world. For the Son of Man did not come to save, for the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, okay? Again, in John 5.45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's only one who accuses. Who's that? Moses. Who's Moses? The law. In whom you trust. The law is a ministry condemnation, not God. Okay. You, John 8.15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. John 12.47, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge, but to save the world. Okay? One another one. Okay? John 4.14? 4, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. The, the, the Bible, the New Testament, is full of this promise that Jesus has not come to condemn the world or mankind. He came to save and through the church age that was after the cross that was after Pentecost the church age and we're still in the church age Jesus is acting as our intercessor he's our advocate real quick let's go to Isaiah Isaiah 59, 16 says and he saw God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor he's not talking about intercessory prayer that has its place but that's not what we're talking about here therefore his own arm, whose own arm? God's own arm, brought salvation. No one could intercede. No one was qualified to intercede. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. There was no one who could intercede for mankind. There was no one who could save mankind and through intercession. True intercession. It was through salvation. I'm not attacking intercessory prayer. Some t- some people have brought it out of context, and we'll deal with that later. Um, but uh, there was there's one intercessor, and that is Jesus Christ. His own arm brought salvation. Okay, Hebrews 7:25 says, "Therefore, he is also able to save the, to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us." He's always doing. He doesn't. He not He's not taking a day off. 1 John 2 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a paracleto with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate. He's interceding for us. You know, let me just talk about ancestry prayer just for a minute. I don't want to go into a lot of detail with that. We can pray for other people. That's called ancestry prayer. But we cannot intercede as in the fa- in the fashion that Jesus is our advocate. It doesn't work that way. That's antichrist. That's an, the word antichristo means a gift or instead of Christ. We cannot do what only Jesus can do. We can pray for people, yes, but we cannot be their advocate in in the fashion that Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Because none of us are at the right hand of God. <laughs> Yeah. Just, I mean, just that fact alone eliminates all of us, and that now, at the same point time, we are sitting with him on the throne, on the right hand of God. But he's king, big K. We are king to priests, little K, little P, okay? And so, uh, but advocate, we, we, he's our advocate. Uh, am I making sense with that? We just gotta make sure, it goes back to another message I preached several months ago, is that we, we're, we're not God. We're not Jesus, but we can pray for people, yes. And I'm not bashing that at all. We just got to make sure in our mind that we are not playing advocate because we don't make a good advocate. <laughs> okay. One, I, I, I it won't work. Uh, but, okay. I'm hoping, I, I, I hope I'm not just scratching my straws with this. Uh, but anyway, let's move forward. Jesus' coming, first coming was not to condemn mankind. Jesus' first coming was to save but Jesus' second coming, and he's coming again, he will sit as judge for all mankind. How do I know this? Again, John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. See, some of these scriptures will get you messed up if you don't understand the difference between the first coming and the second coming. The, the Jews missed him. They thought he was coming as judge in his first coming. No. Yeah, that's reserved for the second coming. Okay. John by twenty seven, five verses later says, and hath given him Jesus authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. <coughs> okay? He also says in Acts seventeen, thirty-one, because he God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the by the man. What man? Capital M Jesus, whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this all by raising him from the dead. Because Jesus was raised from the dead as our Savior. He God has appointed him to be judge over the world. <coughs> That's his second coming. See Jesus was condemned for us. Because he was condemned for us. He's not gonna condemn us whom he has saved. It would it make sense? I'm gonna go a little deeper with that in just a few moments, but just before I go a little deeper, I want to I uh, get something out of the way real quick. I want to talk real quick. So what about the great white, white throne judgment? What about that? I'm not going to go a lot of detail here, but I want to explain something. You have to understand some things. Again, I'm not going to go lot again a lot of detail, but in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, we, we have this verse. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which they were written in the books. But, <coughs> now, if you don't understand some things, you will misconstrue this. Um, Again, I changed my notes. To the title of this chapter should and say the, the Revelation, the Book of Revelation, not just Revelation twenty twelve. But in the Book of Revelation, um, actually, okay. Before I even go there, I am right. And scratch what I just said. Rewind. We, we, we just read this verse, right? Okay. And in the Revelation twenty twelve, it talks about how the godly had already been resurrected. If we're in verse 12, chapter twenty, verse twelve, if you were to read verses four to six, you would see that the godly, the believers, had already been resurrected. Okay. And had reigned on the earth a thousand years. There's a thousand years between when the believers have been resurrected and verse 12 takes place. Okay. I'm not going to go into all that detail. we would be here forever. Okay. But those standing at the great white throne of God, in verse 12, are the ungodly. Okay. We need to understand that. Now, I go into a little more detail. I have a teaching series that I taught a few years back called Seeing Jesus in the, revela- in the Revelation. I'm, i got a little detail um, on this, okay? The ungodly are judged according to their works, not the godly. See, in the book of Revelation, <coughs> I call the book of Revelation the revelation of Jesus, because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, that's what John calls it. He calls it the revelation of Jesus. It's not a revelation of end-time events. It's a revelation of Jesus. And that revelation of Jesus contains some revelation on end-time events. Okay? But that's not the purpose of the book. It's to reveal Jesus. Okay? We have to understand that. Because That's what John himself told us, what the reason of the book was in the very first verse of the child, of the whole book. Okay? But in the in the in the book of Revelation, you'll see that there's two different resurrections you'll see that there's two different judgments and there's two different deaths. Okay? Again, I'm not going to study verse by verse and go into all this detail. Okay? In other words, if you are born twice, meaning you are born again, you will die once. If you are born once, meaning you are not born again, you will die twice. Okay? There's two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the, of the just, the saved, the born-again believers. And there's also a resurrection of the unjust, unsaved. And there's a thousand years that separates these two resurrections. You'll, you'll see this in the book of Revelation. Okay, There's two judgments. Okay, There's a judgment seat of Christ, and there's a great white throne judgment. Let's look at the judgment seat of Christ real okay? quick. We have, well, you can read it in these two, 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 two scriptures, Second 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11, Romans 14, 10, talks about it as well. okay But it's not a judgment of sinners. It's a reward seat for saints. Big difference. You know, the Olympics, the Olympics just took place. And when they stand on that platform to receive their, their medals, gold, silver, and bronze, it's a judgment seat. It's a reward seed for the champions, okay? And it's also called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see that also in the book of Revelation, okay? Now the great white throne judgment, we can read about this in Revelation chapter 20. It's a judgment, seat of, a judgment of unbelievers. And they're judged for their works apart from Christ. Why are they judged for apart from Christ? Because they didn't receive Christ. There is no Christ in their life. They rejected, they refused Jesus. Okay? And the Lamb's Book of Life, they're not in it. They chose not to have Jesus. Okay? And they're cast into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Okay? See, hell, damnation, God wants none to go there. But those who refuse to believe in Jesus. go. And that's the saddest thing ever. There's nothing more worse than that. But all who are saved by faith in what Jesus did will not be judged for their sins. Why? Because all judgment came on Jesus for their sins. But those who rejected Jesus, they still have all their sins on them. God will not commit double jeopardy and, and judge you for the same sins that he judged Jesus. That is the worst antichrist message ever. Anyone who believes that, that he will judge, in other words, those who teach this doctrine wrong are teaching that God ignored everything Jesus did and will judge you for the same things that his own son came to die for you. That is, and there's so many different variations how this doc, doctrine comes out. But we have to know, if you are in Christ, you cannot be judged for the same sins that Jesus died and received you. If you receive Jesus, his, your your Savior, God will not commit double jeopardy. God is not wicked. He's not evil. He cannot commit unrighteousness. Okay? John's well- 12.32 says, and if I be lifted up, I'm going to look at this a little more detail in a minute. He says, the earth I will draw all peoples to myself. This is new King James. I should have used King James here. Uh, i meant to change it. Somebody knows it not get switched out. So bear with me. Why? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous God in him. Hebrews 9.12 says, not with the blood of goats or cows, but with his own blood he entered into the most holy place once and for all. What I'm trying to bring up. God's not going to commit double jeopardy because why? He already died once and for all. He already made us righteous. He already became sin. Okay? Going on to Hebrews 9.15, and for this reason He, Jesus, is the mediator, the intercessor of the new covenant by the means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He goes on to say in chapter 10, by that, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. We're either saved or we're not. Can't have it both ways. Okay. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In the general assembly of the church, uh, Hebrews 12, 23, chapter 1, who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all, the spirit of just man made perfect he's already made us perfect i'm skipping through these some little i I again i get sidetracked and teaching all these verses uh, for a long time but what i'm doing i'm trying to piggyback on but god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through the world through him might be saved but those but he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already why because he I did not believe in the name of Jesus. He refused it. He refused to get to salvation. He refused the relationship with God. He refused Jesus. And if you do not have Jesus, you are still in your sins. And if you have Jesus, He has died for your sins once and for all. All condemnation was placed on Jesus. God judged all our sins, and the sins for the whole world on Jesus. But is the whole world saved? No, because not the whole world hasn't received Jesus. It was necessary for Jesus to die. That's the only way to salvation. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get at. Romans 8 3 says, for the law could not do, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak. The law was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His Son in the likeness of simple flesh on account of sin. He condemned past tense, sin in the flesh. The law is a ministry of condemnation and death. It could not, The law can't save you. Keeping the law, obeying the law is important. But it can't save you. The law is holy. What made it holy? The blood. But the danger in trying to keep the law, the danger is by thinking that if you keep the law, you'll become holy. Paul says that's falling from grace. That's being estranged from grace. That's claiming that Christ died in vain. Do we still keep the law? Yes, we still don't murder. We still don't commit adultery. We still don't bear false witness to become holy. No. Why do we not murder? Because that's not who we are. We're the righteous God in Christ Jesus. Why do we not bear false witness? That's not who we are. We are redeemed. We are children of God. We are the righteousness of God. Act like who you are. Acting like you're not, that's a hypocrite. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is acting like something you're not. You are a child God. Act like it. We're not obeying the Ten Commandments to become holy. We're obeying the Ten Commandments because we are holy. The only thing that can make you holy is the blood of Jesus. If you can become holy because of what you do, then you're saying Jesus did nothing. That's Antichrist. It was necessary for Jesus to come. Am I saying we, we don't live holy? No. The, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. godliness. Live holy, be holy, for God is holy. Be, you can't be something you're not. There's only one thing that can make you holy, and that's the blood of Jesus. Be holy, live holy, receive Jesus, and live like who you are. Paul says this way, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Are you telling me Christ who lives in you is the one committing murder and all this? That's blasphemy. Christ wouldn't do that. Be holy. Who you are. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5:16. And there's been many times where I have walked in the flesh and made 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 a mess, even after being saved. How can that be? Well, Paul, John said, "Brothers, I write these things, so you do not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Does it make it right? No." But sin, between me and God, is no longer an issue. But I can make a mess of it. Christ has already forgiven me, but you might not forgive me. And I can make a mess. Am I just saying we can live any way we want to? No, that's stupid. That's stupid. And I've done plenty of that. Okay? If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh shall reap corruption, not from God, but by the flesh. If, you, if I sow corn in your field, I'm not going to reap, reap corn in my field. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit you'll reap uh, everlasting life. What is everlasting life? A relationship with God. Okay? and I into a lot of detail, but I need to move forward. John 12.32 says, and I want to look at this verse real quick. Let's go to the King James if I be lifted up from the earth, will it draw all men unto me. Now, there's one thing you need to understand about the King James. The word man is in italics. That means it's not in the original text. And if you read the Greek New Testament, you will not find the word man in there, or peoples, that the New King James calls it. Now, let's look at this verse real quick for a moment. This man, the word man is italicized. Meaning it's not an original text. Even the translators said it. By the fact that the translators of the New King of the, of the King James Bible put it in italics, they are stating themselves that it was not an original text. Even the translators have testified to that. So that's not just some days making up. The the translators have said it's not an original text. Okay? So again, this verse, if I be lifted up on the earth, would draw all men to himself. Now if we exalt God. If we exalt Jesus, did God draw people to Himself? Yes, I'm okay with that. That principle is in Scripture. But I don't believe that's what he's saying in this context of John chapter 12. Okay? Why do I say that? Again, man is a topic size, it's original text. It doesn't necessarily mean that he will draw all men to himself, even though that is a scriptural truth. If you exalt Jesus, if you preach Jesus, he will draw people to himself. I can teach that. I am not against that teaching. And I'm not against people uh, getting that from this verse that we just read in John 12, 32. But what I am saying, the context that he's saying in John 12 is, he talked about, he talked about the judgment of the world. That's what he's talking about. Okay? And when Jesus was crucified, he drew all judgment to himself. Let's look at this verse real quick again. And if I be lifted up from the the earth, will draw all men unto me. Let's take out the italics. Let's let's, just remove it. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. Verse 33. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. He's talking about the cross. And what happened at the cross? He drew all judgment to himself. And by doing that, he drew all people to himself, all men to himself. It, I mean, you can even go back further uh, in John 12, he's talking about the judgment, judging the, uh, the judgment of the world being placed on him. That's what he's talking about. <coughs> and you can interpret John 12, 32 any way you want to, and that's fine, because both sides are true. It's just—I'm bringing out a point is that God brought all judgment on Jesus. And I believe that's what He was saying here. Okay. Let's go further. Let's, um, going back to John three eighteen, he who believes in Him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus drew all judgment to Himself, so that we would not suffer condemnation, okay? God judged our sin so that in the flesh of the Son, so that we would not suffer condemnation. That is good news. That is the Gospel. Okay? Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law cannot, we already read this, could not do, in that it was weak in the flesh. God did by sending His Son in the likeness of the flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin, past tense, in the flesh. We have a condition, unconditional covenant of peace. It says Isaiah 5.49, well, this is like the waters of Noah to me. God speaking here. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. This is good news. Now others may condemn you, but not God. Why? Because all judgment came on Jesus for our sins. Our sin has already been judged. Again, John 3, to 18. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? <coughs> Excuse me, because he has not believed in the name of his only begotten Son of God. Why are those who do not believe on Jesus condemned? Why is that true? Again, because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. They are not condemned due to their individual sins. This is the point I'm making. They are condemned due to their singular act of rejecting Jesus. Man's individual sins do not send them to hell. That cannot be possible. Okay? You can read the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. There was one sin that kept them out of the promised land, and that was a sin of unbelief. There's one sin, and after we sin, of rejecting Jesus. Even Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and convict the world of sin because they believe not in me. It's their rejection of Jesus that sends people to hell. Okay? John uh, 16, actually, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, I was going a different direction. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father, and there is no one who accuses you but Moses, who is Moses the law, and whom you trust. A lot of people trust the law. I trust in Jesus. Why is, this? again, this is why the, the law is called a ministry, a condemnation ministry, definitely we've already dealt with that. Again, it says he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Those who do not believe in the name of Jesus are already under condemnation. I didn't say it, Jesus did. What condemnation though? The condemnation of rejecting Jesus. Okay, because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Now, with this, Jesus saved us from the wrath of to come. Okay, but when. Again, Matthew three <coughs> seven. Again, I remind you I'm using a lot of scripture in this mes- message. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the to his baptism, he said to them, God a Who warned you to flee? Who warned you to flee the wrath to come?" Romans five nine says it this way: Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through. Thessalonians says it this way, but God did not appoint us to wrath, we'll come back to this later, uh, probably more next week, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 6.17 says, for the great day of His wrath has come. Now this is present, present tense, and who is able to stand? Revelation 11:18-19 says, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. In the times of the death, uh, that they should be judged and that you should be reward your servants that's the believers, the prophets and the, the saints and those who fear your name shall and shall small and great and shall destroy those who just destroy the earth jesus not only destroyed us from the saved us from the wrath to come but jesus also saved us from the present wrath what i mean by present wrath well john 3, 3 336 says he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides in Him. Where's wrath? In the wrath of God already abides in Him. Romans 4.15 says, because the law brings about wrath. It's not only really the ministry of condemnation. The law brings about wrath. Why? Because it's the ministry of condemnation. It's the ministry of death. That's what the law brings. It the law doesn't bring salvation. The law brings wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. But there, okay, as another message, I'm not going to go there right now. Okay, the present wrath is the curse of the law. Okay, he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Do what? The law. But don't stay there. Because Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We've been redeemed. If we've been redeemed from the curse, what's the curse? The wrath! The That includes sickness. That includes everything else. Everything that came from the law. If you don't think sickness is part of the law, you need to read your Bible. Deuteronomy is full of it. The law. Sickness came from... Breaking and disobeying the law. It's a curse. Sickness is a curse. Lack, poverty is a curse. I'm not condemning anybody here. I am, and when we get into talking about the benefits of salvation in this message, you'll see that salvation includes prosperity. It includes healing, wholeness, deliverance. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anoint me to preach good news to the poor. But salvation is only found in Jesus. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other life except through Jesus. In Jesus is life. John 1.4 says, "In him was life, and the life was the light of oh, men." That's a whole new teaching that I have taught him before years ago. Uh, it, it, it's a beautiful teaching. But without Jesus, there is no life. But let me just say this. Christianity is not a religion. I do not like the word religion. I am not part of religion. Some people will argue with me, and that's fine. I'll argue back. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with the living God. Christianity is a relationship with the creator of life. And eternal life, we talked about this in our last lesson, but eternal life is a relationship with the creator of life. It's a, it's a relationship with God. That's the purpose of salvation. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just going to heaven and avoiding hell. That's, that's what, the benefits of salvation. The purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. Christianity is the only method for salvation. What I mean by Christianity, though? Believing on Jesus. Receiving Jesus. Not religion. Religion is performance. Okay? All other religions are man, and all other religions are the devil. I believe that one of the biggest weapons that the devil uses is not all this evil we see in the world, even though that's part of his program, is religion. He will use religion, he will use Different, very, various formats of Christian religion to deceive people. It's 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 it's, it's one of his most wicked ploys. I would I wish I had more time to talk about that, but uh, but those who trust other religions instead of that's my key word instead of Jesus will be eternally damned. I'm not saying this is scary. I'm not saying this to be mean. I am saying, telling you the truth. There is only one way to be saved. Only one way. If I were to tell you there were multiple ways, I'm a liar. Okay. Acts four twelve says, "Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." John Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to me. Jesus is not a way to be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And anyone who claims to honor Jesus while advocating other ways to, to God's salvation is deceived or is a deceiver, a liar. Jesus is the only way to be saved. John 10, 1 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, who's the door? Jesus. But climbs up another way, the same is a thief and a robber. Verse 8, And whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Jesus is the only way to be saved. There are no alternatives. And any religion that teaches Jesus as being a wonderful example, but don't believe Jesus is the only way to receive salvation. They are false. I can't say that loud enough. I mean, that. Paul says, he, "Paul says they're a curse." Read Galatians chapter one. And he says, in case you didn't hear me right, he says it again. He says it twice. Paul does not leave back any punches on this stuff, uh, okay? Now I want to switch gears a little bit, I'm running out of time, i got about 15 minutes left, so we'll, we'll, we'll cover a little more ground, okay? Like I said, I'm not gonna finish this. I have four, over 400 slides, and I'm only on slide 150, See, okay? So I still got a lot more territory to cover. Let's talk about children being children of God, let's switch gears a little bit here. All this will harmonize, okay? John 11 says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, were born of God. Again, I'm talking about the necessities of salvation. We talked a lot about how Jesus is the only way. Jesus did not con- to condemn the world, but came to the world that he might save them. Right now, I'm talking about how Jesus came to save us that we could become children of God. It was necessary not only to Jesus to be condemned for us so we would not be condemned. Jesus also came that we could become his children, his, ch- his child. Okay? See, in John chapter 11, verse 11, he speaks of the Jews who rejected him, Jesus. He says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected talked. We talked we talk what happened to those who rejected him, Okay. But, in verse 13, 12 and 13, he speaks of those who did receive Jesus. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is supernatural. To be born of God, to be born of be his children, is a supernatural gift. And there's only one way to become born of God, and that's through Jesus. I'm heading towards, when we're talking about being children of God, we're we're heading towards the direction of what it means to be born again. This is supernatural. This is the supernatural power for those who believe in His name. Remember John 3.18 says, they are condemned already because they did not believe in His name. But when you believe in His name, not only do you become saved, but part of salvation means you... (coughs) You are a child of God. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. You are a child. A son. A daughter of God. The power, this power enables you to become sons of God. Ladies, don't get offended. You can put daughter there. okay? That's why I'll change the slide. I'll call it just children. Make it across, across, you know, Son or daughter, and if, in case you're confused, and knowing our gender, okay. Verse John five one says, "For whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who has begotten Him." There's only one way to become born again, and that is to believe in Jesus. Eternal sonship is not only speaking about heaven. Eternal sonship is also speaking about life now. John 10.10 again. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. Those who are born of God have eternal life. We are not beggars. We are sons. We are children. He came to his own. But his own did not receive it. But as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of god To those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of god i just love that but in john chapter three we, we switch gears here we, we're talking Right, we're we'll going to another category here. We're talking of about bearing witness of Jesus. Now, in John chapter 3, you're gonna we're gonna get to the part where Jesus talks about what it means to be born again to Nicodemus. But let's start with the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Okay? He would come to him secretly. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let me talk to you real briefly. We're talking about the necessity of salvation. We're also talking about there's a witness, there's a a bearing witness of Jesus. We talked about already how Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. We talked about what happened to those who received Jesus. and What, what happened to those who reject Jesus? We talked real briefly about being a child of God, and we're going to come back to some of that. But I want to switch gears to a, a, kind of a fourth category so far in this, this third, third lesson in this series. Talk about being a witness of Jesus. See, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, "Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's still old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I said to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is, that is, born, of the, that is born of the flesh, is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit of spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you must be born again? Now we're going to come back and look at verses three, three through seven. Okay? And even verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so it is everyone who is born in the Spirit. Okay? But, and we're going to come back and look at a lot of that detail. But, what convinced Nicodemus that Jesus was God in the first place? What, what even triggered the whole conversation? What intrigued Nicodemus about Jesus? What made him come to him by night to ask Jesus, whom him and his fellow partners were constantly condemning and accusing, what was it that got his attention that said, there's just something wrong with this picture because you, you, could, you could only do these things if you were of God. They didn't like the message, but despite not liking the message, there was something in Nicodemus that tricked him Now, there's something that doesn't add up to what we are accusing you of. I'm not only adding my own words, but but what convinced Nicodemus that Jesus was God? It wasn't his teaching, because he, he and the Pharisees and Sadducees disagreed with his teaching. And I don't think it was his teaching that caused him to come to him by night. Excuse me, one second. Wait for the screen to come back and back on. Hopefully, it connects you. Not his teaching, but his miracles. That's why he wasn't having a conversation. We're going to get to the being born again part in just a moment because that's crucial. But this man came to Jesus by the night and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. How did he know that he's a teacher? Come from God. For well, no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said this two chapters later in John 5, but I have a greater witness than John. Who's John? John the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Miracles bear witness of Jesus. We want people to hear the salvation message, but even Jesus used miracles to get them to pay attention. Because miracles are a witness that Jesus came from the Father. Jesus answered them, and I said, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name they bear witness of me. That's the third time you said this. He goes on to say, in 37, 38, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Everything I'm trying to teach right now, again, we're still in the middle of lesson three here, is setting the pathway for lesson four. We're talking about the benefits of salvation. But miracles validate the ministry of Jesus. They bear witness. Jesus said, if you don't believe me, don't at least believe the miracles. thinking you know that I'm sent for God. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? Church, we need to listen to this. Hebrews four two two, 2 says, For if the word spoken through the angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receives a just reward. Verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Was confirmed to us by those who heard (coughs) him. This phrase, so great a salvation, is where I got the title for this whole message, such a great salvation. That's what he says in verse 3. And notice, verse 4. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Let's go back again. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that bears witness with signs and wonders and miracles? The writer of Hebrews connected our salvation with miracles. Are you following me? I'm going to spend a lot more time on what I just said right here when we get to Section 4, Lesson 4 of the series. But I'm going to make some points here, and then we're going to come back to this later. Are you following me? (coughs) How arrogant of us to think that we can impact the world with less demonstration than Jesus did. Did Jesus, as the Son of Man, what did Jesus do before the cross, Yes, we understand what he accomplished through the cross. And that's the scope of our message here. The scope of a lot of what we teach here. But in his earthly ministry, between, for with, with three and a half years, while he had an earthly ministry, between the baptism waters of John, when he came out of the wilderness, and he read from Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and when he got arrested in, in the, the, the the, the, the finished work of the cross began to, 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 to unfold that three and a half year ministry, what did Jesus do majority of the time? He preached the word and he healed people, he did miracles almost 99, 100% of his ministry was doing those two things healing people doing miracles and preaching the word he didn't do hardly anything else And yet, we, and he reached his world so much in Mark chapter 1, the whole city showed up at uh, Peter's mother-in-law's door. People flocked by the thousands without modern trans- transportation. They, they, to be, to what? To hear what he had to say and to get healed. And I would say the majority of them we didn't too much care about what he had to say as much as they wanted to be healed. <laughs> I, human nature doesn't change much. But if someone is going to heal you of a deadly, vicious disease, do you not want to hear what they have to say to them? And we marvel that the world doesn't want to hear us, and yet we're not even doing what Jesus did. Are you hearing me? And I'm pulling these fingers just as much as me than I am any of you. How arrogant of us to think that we can impact our world in 2022 with less demonstration than Jesus did. How arrogant of us to think we can impact our world with less power than Jesus demonstrated. With less miracles than Jesus. Jesus told us we can get the same results. He did. He said, before he went to the cross, "Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me. That's the qualification for salvation. The works that I do, he will do. Also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. I believe the greater work of salvation. I've seen people get saved. You can disagree with that. That's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. Okay? Why? Why did he say this? Because Jesus was going to the Father. Jesus told us that we can get the same results he did because Jesus was preparing to provide salvation. John 3, 2 says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, but no one can do these things that you do unless he is with God. God was there. Folks, we just talked about if you believe on Jesus, you are born of God. If you are of Jesus, you are of God. Are you following me? Because Nicodemus said, you can't do these signs unless God is with you. But folks, if you are born again, God is not only with you, you are born of God. And there is no reason why we are not doing what Jesus did. There's no, there's no excuse. How shall we neglect? How shall we neglect such a great salvation? Bearing witness. How are we bearing witness of Jesus if we're not doing miracles? Because Jesus says, the miracles I do are bearing witness of me. How are we bearing witness? Acts 1-8 comes to mind. And you shall be witnesses throughout all the earth. I'm paraphrasing. Nicodemus said, no one can do such miracles unless God be with us. If you are born of God, God is with you. God is in you. And you are in him. And we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about it later. I'm running out of time. I'm out of time today. I'm going to pick it up with a thought next week. But we're going to be talking about how not only are you born of God, but the kingdom is in you. He's given you the keys of the kingdom. It's in you. A kingdom is where a kingdom has, has dominion. Jesus saved us, not only so we don't go to hell. Jesus saved us so that we can be a child of God. Jesus saved us so we can bear witness of God through signs and wonders. Jesus saved us so that the kingdom of God can be here and within us so that we can demonstrate the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, when he, even in an earthly ministry, Jesus, when he sent out the 70 and he sent out the 12, he said, Go preach that the kingdom of God is here. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you receive really give. If Jesus sent out the 12 and the 70 before the cross that way, what, what are we doing? We're playing church instead of being the church. And the world is perishing. Church, we need to wake up. We need to understand this great salvation. Yes, so we can go to heaven. Yes, so we can get healed. Yes, so we can experience all the benefits. But we need to understand the salvation so we can preach it and we can demonstrate it to a world that needs Jesus. We are supposed to be occupied until He comes. This is being about our Father's business. Everything else is just stuff. And some of it is just junk. Religious junk that is not bearing witness of Jesus. That is not—it's just meaningless. It's confusing to the world. That the world is is spending billions of dollars on healthcare, trillions, quadrillions. They're seeking purpose. They want help. They want. They will spend millions on movies and different things. That for superheroes and supernatural. We have that supernatural power. We have it. We're born of God. And one of the greatest supernatural things is, is that we're born again. We're saved. We're a child of God. And most of us are doing nothing with it. I'm not saying this again to condemn you. I'm not saying this again to in your case. I'm saying this to, for me and you. Wake up. We are neglecting such a great salvation. But none of this was possible if Jesus didn't die for us. He saved us. He made us a child of the King. A child of Almighty God. And we're going to pick it up here next week as we're talking about such a great salvation. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.